0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Sa- <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome back to Searching the Sacred. We are excited that you are joining us. We are actually in season 6, and so for all of you that are maybe joining for the first time, you've got a lot to catch up on, but you don't have to. You can just start right here because we are diving into Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20, but just as an editorial note, we are going to be alluding to Proverbs chapter 8 from time to time and if you want a deeper dive into that you should check out the previous episode where we talked about Proverbs chapter 8. So with all that context ready to go let's read from Colossians chapter 1. Lisa.
1: hey, I'm reading from the Inclusive Bible starting at verse 15. Christ is the image of the unseen God and the firstborn of all creation. For in Christ were created all things in heaven and on earth, everything visible and invisible. Thrones, dominations, sovereignties, powers, all things were created through Christ and for Christ. Before anything was created, Christ existed, and all things hold together in Christ. The church is the body, Christ is its head, Christ is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and so Christ is first in every way. God wanted all perfection to be found in Christ, and all things to be reconciled to God through Christ. Everything in heaven and everything on earth, when Christ made peace by dying on the cross.
2: Okay. I'm realizing how much a previous version of me
3: would have loved this and how the current version of me is feels different feels than that. Um I'm a little intimidated to dive in and I'm a little frustrated by how clean and neat and tidy this all sounds. So that's my starting point.
0: <laughs> how Say more guys- about that. Say more about that. What what feels neat and tidy? What feels clean or easy and like how is that reflective of old self versus where you are now. Were you flipping more.
3: the tables on me? Jesus. I am flipping
0: the tables. Yes.
3: Uh, you know, I think this is why um, it feels very theological, which uh, there's a way that everything's theology or uh, there's a lot of different ways to talk about this, but this is very elevating of who Christ is in a way that would have just felt like an easy thing for me to say at a certain point in my life. Yes. Yes. I believe Christ is all of those things. And so it would have felt like a hymn. It would have felt like joy. And now it feels like the wrestle of, do I still believe all of those things? Mm -hmm. And so I think what feels tidy about it is it feels like the Christ is being all wrapped up in a bow here. And for me, that is not how my theology feels. It doesn't feel like my view of Christ is wrapped up in a bow. It feels like I wonder about a lot of things that I used to not wonder about. And so... That's my starting point is, oh, no, what am I going to encounter in this passage? Am I willing to go there? Mm. Uh, It feels like it's going to force me to not avoid things that sometimes I avoid.
1: So let's maybe let's go around the room and name all of our starting Mm -hmm. (laughs) points. What rose up for you as you heard or read this? Well, I think because I was reading it in the inclusive translation, I'm very much aware that it said Christ a lot, but that's not actually what the text says. It says he a lot. Mm. Um, so it actually felt, it feels different to just keep naming it as Christ. Um, I don't know exactly what that means for me, but that's what I noticed. I, it, by replacing the he's with Christ, it, Um,
2: it felt like I had less permission to wrestle Mm. that maybe
1: leaving all the he's in I don't know it feels really difficult to wrestle with Jesus Mm -hmm. and who Jesus is was will be And is that what we're saying when we're saying Christ? (laughs) Because that's also like, I have like, I am not a Richard War aficionado like a lot of my friends are. So like, I just have a vague knowledge of like Christ. Like there's this language actually matters, but I don't know why.
2: Mm -hmm. All right, Jason, how about you?
0: I mean, a lot of things spark in a way or. Come like a lot of questions start bubbling like kind of building off of both of you because it's hard not it's hard to like have a, a thought after hearing both of you's talk because like an original thought because I, I my mind is already now incorporating everything that you guys have shared and so I think kind of along with that when I hear about the kind of like the cleanness or the straightforwardness the kind of almost like very simplified theological strain of all this, I I start to wonder like what's going on in this community that this letter was written to them to in a way seemingly reassure them of what they've chosen to believe in. You know, I mean, this is first century stuff and, you know, this is a new church and sounds like Paul's kind of saying like, Hey, You're on the right path here. Let's not forget that. And so, I wonder if that. I wonder what the context is that kind of necessitates the clarity of what we're what we're reading. I I also, yeah, I I I constantly wonder like what what are the nuances to when Jesus is alluded to and when the Christ is alluded to from like a theological point of view. Um, You know, it seems like Paul is very clearly referencing Jesus. In the majority of this or parts of this, I mean, we're talking about something happening on the cross. I mean, that's very clearly a Jesus thing, it would seem. Um, But when we're talking about the Christ and this kind of universality of all creation is coming from the Christ, the Christ has always existed. Well, Jesus was born, right? So, I mean, there wasn't a Jesus before Mary was pregnant. But there was a Christ, and so there. There's maybe I don't know. I say maybe just because I don't want to get in too much trouble with like my dad. But like, <laughs> is there like a separation between the two? And is Paul like doing that for us? Is Paul separating the two? Um, and and maybe where is the invite for us to do that as well? Um, I, I yeah. So I wrestle. I mean. At some level, it's like really seems theologically simple. And then at the same time, like insanely complex mm-hmm. right off the bat.
3: I I love the permission you just gave by saying, I want to use the word maybe so my dad doesn't get mad at me. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um,
3: because really that's what that brings up is where all of us, there's something universal about that statement, even though it's very specific is where do we need to use the word maybe so that Fill in the blank, it doesn't get mad at me. Or so that, like, because when we're wrestling with big things, there's usually something that we're afraid of in the midst of it that's not just about that thing. And to allow ourselves to say we're not definitively changing our mind about anything, we're just wondering. We're using the word maybe. We're exploring how that word maybe can shift some things for us. And it may or may not shift something big, and that's okay. But what's the harm in wondering about the maybe?
0: That's awesome. And I should nuance my comment because my dad has actually never been one to get mad at me when I express theological ideas that are different from him. Um, it's just a really convenient way to try to frame the, maybe my own hesitation, right. Um, with, with how I was handed faith. Um, my dad is actually one of my favorite conversation partners, even though we do differ on how we interpret scripture quite often. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to nuance that in case he does listen. I didn't <laughs> want him to think that I was uh, actually thinking he gets mad at me because he doesn't. But well, you all get what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, well, my dad often actually tells me that he's worried I'm going to lose my salvation. So I, <laughs> there is something I, for some of us that is a it's a hard. Right. right. The conversation is just it's not I don't actually choose to have this conversation. Yeah. Um, I'd yeah. prefer not to because I don't. don't want I don't want to do harm to our relationship right and um my dad is
2: one of the people who formed my faith right right so when we think about
3: what there is to wrestle with here which is a lot we'll see what we can tackle in one episode Mm um maybe let's Let's start with thinking about this word Christ, because it's come up for us a lot, because Lisa's translation said it a lot. But as she also named, that's not actually there. It says he. The inclusive Bible is making a choice to substitute the word he with the word Christ in its inclusivity and in the context of who the he is talking about from Colossians 1. And so that's maybe a good time to zoom out and just say, I think we've said this in the podcast before, but it always bears repeating all translation is commentary. There is no neutral translation. And if we're nervous about that, when we're talking about the Bible, we can think about that for any of us who know any bit of foreign language and are trying to translate from one language to another. The translator is always making a choice about one word versus another word. There isn't a way to translate that doesn't include some level of opinion or perspective in the translation. And that is also true of the Bible. And there are ways that that isn't, it's not that translators are bad. Sometimes some translations are worse than others, but really they're, they're making that choice based on their own perspective, their own priorities. So the inclusive Bible is being very clear from the title of it, the choice that it is making to help us with those of us with gendered. Baggage around the Bible to have a Bible that gives us a different entry point. It's very consciously losing some of those gendered terminology pieces, which sometimes is going to help us when we're reading, and sometimes actually it's it's hard. Sometimes it loses something. Um, But to say that's actually going to happen in any translation we're reading—that there's something that's going to be gained, there's something going to be lost—and it's I I appreciate that there's an openness to what is being gained and lost, even in the title of this Bible that's clear. This Bible is meant to be gender inclusive. Know that when you're reading it. Um, so that means they're using this word Christ. Um, the last time, the time that Christ has actually been used was way up in verse seven, um, which is still in Paul's greetings. And it's talking about Epiphas who taught you and is one of our closest co-workers and a faithful laborer of Christ on our behalf. And they're specifically using that word Christ. And it starts to elaborate since the day we heard about you, we've been praying for God's will. So that's where they're getting the word Christ from, I think is because that was the term that Paul used there. Paul didn't use the term Jesus. Paul used the term Christ. The other possibility is what Jesus is, or what <laughs> what, G- what Jason is talking about.
1: <laughs> wow. High
0: praise. Oh, yeah. Thank you.
1: Here we go.
3: Elevation.
0: Here, we, here goes the ego. <laughs>
3: Um, which is the kind of language that's being used here is very big. And how is that very big language paired more naturally with the word Christ than the word Jesus. So our wrestling's already begun just with this one term and where it's coming from and whether it's the right term.
1: I, I don't know about you guys, but I also, I sometimes forget when I'm reading Paul or in this case, people who it may not be Paul, but people who have been close to Paul, writing on Paul's behalf, kind of a situation. That um, they're letters. Like sometimes I read it like it, like I read the Gospels, or I read something else. like you're just telling me a story, and this is what it is, and this is like a. F- <laughs> There's something about thinking about it as a letter that helps kind of shift a little bit of like how I'm reading it because I. In Because the Bible just always looks like the Bible. (laughs) It's sometimes hard to remember, oh, this is actually, this. this should sound a little different. It looks a little different. And what it's doing is a little different than perhaps what I just was reading in the Gospels, if that's how we're reading it.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I think for myself, one of the things that I think is interesting is that this is one of the letters that's attributed to Paul while Paul is incarcerated while well, he's imprisoned. And so I just like to have a little bit of a side lens of thinking about what does it mean to, for a person who's incarcerated to be writing a letter?
0: Hmm. What
1: does that look like from their position?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're really helping us, you rem- like reminding us to be mindful of the, the context and the circumstance of both the audience that the person is writing to, but then also the circumstance of the writer, which I think we try to bring that up when we study the Hebrew scriptures of some of this is being edited and written down for the first time in Babylon. And it's, and so even though we're writing about, you know, Israelites in the wilderness and, you know, taking the promised land where the, con- the, the, the authors, you know, present circumstances may influence what they highlight and how they highlight it. And I think you're doing that here with Paul. And I think that's a really helpful thing to keep in mind as yeah, what were his circumstances and how does that impact how he writes about
2: Christ and views Christ in that moment?
3: Which I think, um, in verse four, my study Bible is being me with this um, of chapter one, it helps us see that Paul has actually never visited this community. So Paul is, in prison at the time he is writing this. And in verse four, he's saying, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, which means that if it's, we've heard of it, this isn't a church that he planted. This isn't a church that he, there's churches where he's writing to, where he's clearly spent time with their community. This one, the way he's writing says, I've heard of you Hmm. and I want to write to you. How does that affect what is said in a letter when there's not that personal that same personal connection as a community he spent time with for a couple of years.
1: Well, it feels just fine in the beginning it feels just fine. In the first few verses, like you're hearing real good things about us. Good to hear from you, Paul. <laughs> I, like, that's what I think. Like when I read that first bit, I'm like, Oh yeah, you've heard of our, like our faith and our love of the saints and feels like they're being a real good Christian community.
3: Mm-hmm. I get curious when you name Lisa the context of Paul being in prison and when he writes this of like, when I, of wondering if, if Paul thinks he will have the chance to meet these people or not, or if this is his one shot to communicate something to them. So I think about things like what would I s- like last words, last, like, like we talk about Deuteronomy as like this, it's framed as Moses's last sermon to the people. What does he want the people to know before they cross to the promised land? These letter, if it's a letter he's writing to a community, he's not met, but heard of, and he's in prison. Does he think there's another letter? Does he think there's a chance to meet them? Or does he think this is my, this, I want to, everything I want to say to this community, I want to try to put in this one place, this one letter
1: here's what I think they need. And how does that affect how you write?
3: How does that affect your focus if you're, if, if it is that way for you?
0: Sometimes I wonder how thought out these letters are like, like, is this draft eight or like 25? Like, okay, we got to structure this the right way. We got to put the paragraph a here. We got to put this paragraph here. We got to, Oh, we got to highlight this, but we shouldn't do it yet, but we got to do this. like, or is this like, like kind of like Paul's talking and, you know, they're having a, like, they're kind of like, man, if you could say something to the church and, you know, Colossae, like, what would you say, Paul? And like, he's just like, man, I, I, I would just want them to know that I, I really appreciate them. And we've been praying for them and like, Oh, I hear about their faith and like, it's so beautiful. And, and they're praying for the saints and like, Oh man, when you think about the work of Christ and then all of a sudden he just goes into this hymn and they're just like taking notes and they're just writing. Like, is it stream of consciousness kind of like him just suddenly he just breaks out into like, this is who Christ is. And it's, it's glorious and, and whatever. And so I'm, I'm just so curious as to like, I mean, obviously we can't go back <laughs> and find out, but, um, but when it's like, yeah. And all of a sudden verse 15, he's just breaking out into song or it's this kind of poetic idea of who Christ is. I, I mean, I, where does it come from? I don't know. I mean, maybe he's just overwhelmed by their faith and he just, gets caught up in a moment and just writes about what he believes to be true of who Christ is and wants and that's a part of what they find out or what they know and I don't know
3: that's great that that starts to engage our imagination, which sometimes l- these letters don't invite us to do that um, in a way it's helpful like can we picture that prison experience of Paul? and can we engage with our imagination of how this is being written does he have access to scrolls or like and like writing instruments where he can go through a couple drafts or is this like a one shot is he is he speaking out loud to a scribe and the scribe's just writing down everything he says in a stream of consciousness like how how does that context for how it's written affect how we read what's written can we hear
2: Paul's tone of voice is what are the conditions like? How does that affect how he writes things down?
1: I think it's hard for me to read this because I know what comes later. What comes so later? What we call the household codes.
2: Mm.
1: Um, Like, I think that's part of my problem with Paul is that I'm always holding in mind the things that I don't like, that it's hard for me to just stay here. Um. And so I just say, just naming out loud, that's really hard for me to like, I feel like I'm supposed to balance
2: some BS with the beauty. Um, And so I'm just naming that, that
1: I'm noticing in myself that um, I'm almost waiting for the shoe to drop when I'm reading Paul. Mm One of the... Entry points there, I think, for us can be. um, There's lots of words used for,
3: like, the like, here we're thinking about the theology of Christ that Paul is talking about, but we can also think about our theology of the Bible, or like, how do we hold what the Bible is? How do we hold its weight and importance? So that's where words like inerrancy get thrown out or thrown around, or like, there's different belief systems around how to hold this book. One of the things I'm curious about is if is how we would read this book differently if we adopted some of the wisdom of the Jewish tradition. So the Jewish tradition and the, in the Hebrew scriptures doesn't hold each book with equal weight. So the Torah is the first five books and those are considered In many traditions, this is never about all people, but in many traditions would be considered foundational to the rest of Hebrew scriptures that that it only makes sense to read the rest of Hebrew scriptures in light of the Torah. So the Torah is the emphasis and it is weightier, which is why there's Torah portions that like if you are if you stay faithful to sort of that tradition, you would read through the entire Torah on a yearly basis. And, and that's a part of your tradition is to just stay in those five books and keep staying grounded in those five books and read everything else in light of those five books. I'm very curious about whether Paul would assume we would do the same thing with the New Testament and hold the Gospels weightier than the rest of the books and always be interpreting through the weight of the Gospels. And, and not to say that those other things aren't important. They, they are though, like, all of the Hebrew scriptures are important, but is there a different weight? And I think one of the one of the tripping points with Paul is I think Paul has been given a lot of weight in the Christian tradition, and I'm not sure if that weight is appropriate to even what Paul was trying to do. And that seems like it affects how we hold a lot of things because the weight of those household codes, codes that Lisa's talking about is heavy on us when we read anything else that Paul talks about because it's been so emphasized. Did Paul himself expect us to emphasize his words so much that we know them better than Jesus's words in a lot of circumstances? Is that what he would think we would do? One of my arguments for holding it with a different weight is that Paul himself here, as Jason said in the intro, seems to be referencing Proverbs 8. Like in his words, how is he referencing what came before him in a way that would show us there should be weight to what came before him?
1: And if we give those things weight, does that affect how we
3: hear Paul? That was a little rambly. Any any comments before we keep going?
0: Well, I think you're making a really important point because... To me, like, uh, uh, like in my own kind of simplistic way of trying to frame what you said, it's it's. Are we majoring on the minors, right? Like, we we do a really good job in the church of wanting to parse out every little doctrine and every little thing to like define who we are as a community. And like, I get that that's how, part of how communities are defined is by the 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 minutia of what they believe. But when we lose grace, forgiveness, when we lose uh, generosity, when we lose like the priority of the other, right? The way that Christ just constantly is going to the margins of society and bringing people in and making room. When we when we forget that, the, I mean, Jesus literally says the weightier matters of the law, you know, and when he's condemning some of the ways of the Pharisees. Like you, you tithe mint, and cumin, but you forget to take care of the least of these. Like, I feel like that's kind of what we tend to do. Right. And, and we, we elevate all of these verses of Paul and we take them out of context and we apply them to our context today. And then we, we forget like the foundation of all this is like the sermon on the mount or like loving your enemy so much so that you're willing to go to the cross, like and not fight back. Like but yet we tend to fight constantly in the you know within the church and then fight people outside the church even more so. I mean it's it's this unfortunate majoring on the minors in in a in a way. Hmm. And I know saying that could sound like blasphemous, right? That we're majoring on the minors as if like there is a part of the bible that we don't need to take quite as seriously. Um, which is not what I'm trying to say, but I also am saying if we're going to take it seriously, we can't throw out like grace and love <laughs> because if we lose those things, then like what's the point of being right about what Paul says? Like
3: well, oh maybe maybe what we do is we quote Jesus there and we say, Okay, Jesus was asked what the what the protos commandments were, which is the first, the greatest, the source. And he answered the question, meaning he's giving greater weight to love the Lord your God with a hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. He gives those the weight of being protos, which implies that something about goat sacrifice doesn't make the protos list. Does that mean it's not important? No, but there is a protos. There's something that's a source. There's something that's first that we're meant to read in light
2: of.
0: Yeah, and and we don't always do that with Paul. Mm
2: -mm. All right, so maybe we do that,
3: Lisa. Let's let's see if this helps our wrestle with Paul. Lisa and I, in particular, tend to not be fans of Paul. I'm not sure how you feel, Jason, but I wonder if we can give this. I'm a
0: guy. I love Paul. What are you talking about? (laughs)
3: I wonder if we even could weight Paul's words against themselves in certain ways and say, okay, if he breaks into a hymn, what if there's a little bit more weight to that inside of the letter? There's something he's trying to say there that is weightier and is something to pay attention to and have the other things in light of that. Maybe. We'll see. But I would love, I want to wrestle with verse 15 through
1: 17 (laughs) personally.
3: Um, but I think I would love to wrestle with them even in light of side-by-side. I'd love, Lisa, would you read Colossians 1, 15 through 17, and then I'll read Proverbs eight twenty two through 25, because hearing them side-by-side might be interesting for both of us, or for like, for us. Do, we... do
1: you want it in inclusive, or do you want it in a different?
3: Any of, what do you, whatever you think.
1: Um, I'll read it out of my new King James version just to get another little spin on it. So verses 15 to 17. Yeah. Um, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things
3: and in him, all things consist. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depths, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep when he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by him as one brought up with him. So we have the language of Proverbs eight there side by side with the language of Paul. What do you notice?
1: It's the same thing that happens to me when I'm writing a sermon and I start, all of a sudden I find myself saying things. I'm like, well, that's in the Bible. That's a, like, I, you start to, like, say the things that you know. And, like, it's just what you know. It's what you believe. Um, like, you can believe who, that Jesus is who Jesus says he is. Oh, well, that's not really original thought. I don't know that I could tell you exactly where it comes from, but it's just so deeply ingrained that I be- it becomes a part of the language. And it feels like that's what's happening with Paul, is that that is the language. But they're you like it's I don't that's what it feels like for me. It, it's not dead on like it's not an exact quote, but it feels very much like what I've noticed about myself.
2: Mm-hmm. It, I love that because I think one of the things that we
3: I do I'm I'm not going to say anybody else. I sometimes forget the connections when it's not a direct quote. Like there are times where it's really clear that Paul or Jesus is directly quoting something from the Hebrew Scriptures. But that does not mean there aren't references and allusions when there aren't direct quotes. And so to recognize those references and allusions alongside the direct quotes helps give us even more context to say Paul's using a lot of language here that sounds like Proverbs 8. It is not an exact quote, but it is not disconnected either because Proverbs 8 is talking about this thing This being that existed before the foundations of the earth and was alongside God when the earth was created. And Paul is talking about the same thing. So, what is that illusion? Why is that illusion being made? How does it affect how we're reading Paul if we think about it as coming somewhere, being connected to another thought that came before and not just being
1: drawn out of thin air from Paul's brain?
0: Well, not to be like redundant with what we said last time and for anyone that listened to the last one, I don't want to repeat everything we said, even though we are making a link here, but I think we tend to frame the world or creation or the way things are in a really negative way. I mean, I do this all the time, like the world doesn't seem like to be a place that's moving towards Shalom. It actually feels when I watch the news or when I hear about interactions with people or whatever that usually tends to flavor the negative as opposed to the positive. And I think that's partly how our brains are wired is that you know if we study brain science, um, negative things tend to stick like Velcro, I think is the analogy used. Whereas good things are like Teflon, they just kind of slide right off our our memory bank. So it's harder to remember that things are good, um, even though good happens all around us all the time. And so If Paul is making this kind of like allusion to or similarity between something that's just part of what he knows based on his own education as a good Jew, uh, then maybe he's reminding us that this is a good creation, that it's a thoughtful creation and that Christ is in and baked into all of it and is the you know, the foretaste of it and is the culmination of it and holds it all together. And it's, it's good. Like this thing you're a part of, it's not bad. Like it, like we're here, there's something healthy and, and meaningful about being here right now. And, you know, contextually speaking, if you're a Christian in the early part of the first century with the Roman empire, you're probably not in the best of circumstances like, there's a potential for persecution that's pretty strong. Yeah. And so maybe there's a level of him saying, like, hey, this is a good thing. Like, we're okay. Like, this is good. Um, <laughs> doesn't seem good. Might not look good. Might not hear a lot about good, but it's still good. Um,
2: anyway. I'm tripped up on, like... things that last week or last
3: episode, we were like, felt good to talk about that now when it's Christ feels really different to me. So like we talked about last episode, we talked about in that good creation, this idea that wisdom, so the, the, the being being referenced in Proverbs eight is wisdom and it was, and it's, and it's female. And so we had this whole conversation about that. And this idea that wisdom existed before the beginning of all things helps that creation feel good to to me because it's like oh yeah there's there's a wi- wisdom was with god and creating that like there's a wiseness to creation feels good but now when it's like christ is beforehand then i have all sorts of questions about christ being created or begotten or christ coming forth because i thought it was a triune god and so how can something be brought forth that always was and so like my the, i'm noticing like i have theological questions this week that i didn't have last week that feel harder or feel different. And don't bring me the same kind of hope that last week's conversation brings. Now it brings a little bit of confusion of like, wait, how can that be? How can that be Christ?
1: I'm not, I'm not sure. Why doesn't he say Jesus?
3: And orgy, like, why does it say he this whole time? Why doesn't it like, there's something that feels hard to me. Like not hard, just confusing. It feels confusing. If that feels like there was a time when there wasn't a Christ, then if there's a time if it's if it's a firstborn or a first to come forth, does that mean there is a time where there that the Christ wasn't forth?
0: <laughs> That's okay. So this is an interesting translation issue because the New Living Translation says he existed before anything was created. So the assumption is that. Christ wasn't created. So that whole firstborn isn't even in that translation. And I should probably just use a different one. But No, is it in
1: verse 18 though? Like the end of verse 18?
0: It just says first in everything. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first Mm -hmm. in everything.
3: Yep. So it's beginning, Christ is the beginning, the, the firstborn from the dead and first in every way. So there's something about first that's being emphasized because it's multiple times time up first or firstborn. What were you seeing, Lisa?
1: Well, I just am seeing that everybody's translations different, which mm-hmm. is, it, that is a thing to pause on. Even in the New Testament, when everybody's trying to say something, but it's not exactly the same. Something's happening there. But I also, this is what I'm noticing. This is why I'm irritated with Paul. Like when you compared it to Moses in Deuteronomy, that like unlocked something for me, Steph. Because I feel like when Moses is talking to everybody, he's like, you guys remember? Remember. Remember. And it's a thing because it's actually, it's locked in. And they will teach the people behind them to keep remembering. So like, it feels like it's this poor memory that's getting unlocked. Paul seems to be like, it's not about remembering. It's like Paul's casting a vision forward. Like there's something, there's a difference in the language of how I read somebody that's asking me to remember what I know versus somebody that's telling me, this is what you need to see. This is what's happening. And it makes me have all kinds of questions on how, like, is this what Paul understands? Was this a download? Was like Paul... Or was he like, "Hey, that was really good stuff." Like, if I like, John's got this thing going in the beginning and the wisdom, and that wisdom thing in Proverbs is really good. Like, I'm going to tie that all in because I think that's going to it's going to work here. Like how I sometimes try to do a sermon, <laughs> and then sometimes I'm like, "Oh, that that did not work," <laughs> or like you don't know until you put it out there. I don't know. I feel like I'm missing I'm missing a conversation. To understand this letter. I, I'm missing something. Because I feel like. Maybe maybe Paul gave another sermon. That was on this. I don't know. I, that's what I'm wondering about right now. I'm just kind of wrestling with. It feels like a tone. Of like I should know what this means. But I'm hearing it. And I don't know what it means. Jason you've been having visible responses. To what
2: Lisa. <laughs>
0: no I, I think it's really beautiful what you're pointing out that moses is calling the people to remember and that paul doesn't seem to be doing that he's doing something totally different and that so paul was there the first introduction we have is that he's overseeing the stoning of stephen Hmm. if he's overseeing the stoning of stephen this is coming like very shortly after jesus's death and ascension so, there was no gospel account of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, like those were being written. The stories are probably circulating the you know in essentially the me- mythology of Jesus is being passed around. People are sharing the stories that I mean he's in Jerusalem at the time, so he's probably maybe witnessed some of Jesus, but we don't get any impression that he ever saw Jesus until he has his Damascus road experience where he is encountered by the resurrected Christ who causes him to go blind and tells him to stop persecuting his followers. And then he has this miraculous transformation into from Saul to Paul. Essentially, Paul has been like on the margins of the Jesus movement, never believed any of it, had a miraculous conversion and experience with what you could probably only call the Christ. Or, or Jesus, right? Like both, maybe. But he seems to really focus on the Christ after this and, and all of his writing and like does mention Jesus, but but really frames Jesus as the fullness of God in human form and calls that the Christ. And then is doing something, like you said, It's it's moving it forward. It's almost like Paul is the first interpreter of the Jesus story, of mm-hmm. the of the manifestation of God on earth, right? The, the God who took human form and reshaped all of Judaism and reshaped, you know, or, or attempted to, or attempted to move things in a, in a dynamic direction of heaven to earth, a dynamic direction of, it's no longer um, circumcision of the body, but circumcision of the mind and the heart, right? Like, so, so suddenly Paul is moving this thing, like, what does this actually look like in community? is a is a way that you could say Paul is trying to figure out and he doesn't have the luxury of mystical John doesn't have the luxury of the decided upon Matthew Mark and Luke um and so anyway i, I yeah. yeah it's
1: yeah well and he doesn't hard have to things. read
0: Paul without knowing Matthew Mark and Luke and John
1: right and it, also he doesn't have the luxury of spending like this is a community that he's not even met So he's also not getting multiple, like he's not having multiple, he doesn't have a couple of years to go over everything.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. And yet every, everybody in the Christian quote unquote community is not everyone, but the Jerusalem council has said, okay, this guy's doing good work. We don't know how, (laughs) how he's doing this work, but the spirits like obviously with him, And Mm -hmm. so there's something happening here. And so there's like, there's this, for the most part, support of what Paul is up to, as as he's navigating these letters and his and his mission, you know, his his ministry.
3: Which then I, I mean, I I love this conversation of like framing who Paul was because, like, thinking about okay, Jason, you call him the first interpreter. So if I think about him being a Pharisee and the first interpreter of Jesus Christ, without. The luxury of either the firsthand experience of the disciples or the written text, how does that interpretation then is in light of his own story and his own experiences and his own knowledge. His own knowledge is that of a Pharisee, which means his own knowledge is going to be that of an extreme knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures. So that is going to be his primary lens through which he's interpreting Jesus through because the Pharisees valued that study of scripture very highly. They knew the Torah really, really well. And so then if I'm that guy, if I'm that guy, if I'm Paul, I've been a Pharisee. I've My zealousness used to be against Christianity, but now I have become a Christian. This hymn, Make some sense in light of that, like how do I explain who Jesus is? Well, Jesus is a lot like wisdom. Jesus is a lot like this force that existed before things and led the way for things. like Jesus is outside it's there's something mystical that has happened to me. Mm-hmm. and this is the language that I have for something mystical is there's this thing that's that's sort of like God, but not God in the same way. Like that, because because again, like the, in the in in a Pharisaical mindset, there is not a triune God. There is one. Monotheism is pinnacle. So part of what he's going to be trying to do is frame how does Jesus make sense in light of monotheism? To go to wisdom makes sense because there is something that's elevated about Proverbs eight that's going to give Jesus an elevated place to be inside of the tradition that I'm coming from.
1: And it also feels like it really, all of this is going to matter very deeply to Paul. As a person that was a part of a community that stoned somebody that is familiar
2: with um, death and harm and who then, like Jesus
1: is crucified. Like there's a, there's this theme of encountering death, like we're being responsible for something. And even thinking about like this pushes me back to him being incarcerated. Of like the amount of time you have to think about the ramifications of your choices and what you've done and the hope that what has happened actually means what it says it means. and especially when you have an encounter where you changed your entire life around it feels like it even doubles down even more that it needs to you just need it to be true like Paul desperately needs all of this to be true and and he needs other people to believe it's true not just for himself but he this is like somehow it is that deep ingrained notion that he also has to make sure everybody else has it too
2: mm. what if paul would give us permission to do the same thing with his words. Like, what do we, what what encounter have we
3: had that has changed our trajectory where we desperately need a new way to hold something? And that new way to hold something would involve rewriting a part of the story the way we heard it with new language.
2: Like, what if this is a model of how to do that that we could keep following? Yes, Jason. No, that's gutsy.
0: That. I, what you just said in your very calm, <laughs> stiff tone was one of the most gutsy things that has ever been spoken on this podcast, <laughs> like ever. Because essentially, what you're saying is, what if we take the writings of Paul and we think it could be utilized to, and, and, and then updated or enhanced. So essentially you're fast forwarding a couple of chapters in Colossians to the whole household codes and saying, okay, cool. Contextually, maybe there was some reasons for this and we could probably wrestle with that. But if we were to rewrite chapter four, this is what we would say, because it actually is in alignment with the central themes of like love of God love of neighbor it's it's more in line and and like i'm not saying you're wrong <laughs> i'm just saying you're really gutsy for saying i
3: might be i might be kicking at the tires of heresy today
0: yeah not just lisa, lisa who can right? do it, like, we can all do it attribute that quote to the person it's uh, it's afforded that was lisa's she gets all the profits from that one but
3: yeah well i i just wonder what i what i'm thinking about that we consciously compared this to proverbs 8 and said there's allusion to that here we've got it I mean maybe someone could argue that but it'd be I would it would be hard I'd be hard pressed to not believe this is consciously connected to Proverbs 8 in some way even as it's being phrased in a new way and talked about a new person which in a sense is giving us permission to rewrite scripture which what are the limitations of that? Where do we, where do we stop? Did that stop when this book was bound up in the books that we have on our shelves? Or do we get to keep rewriting? Do we get to keep reimagining the story in light of
1: experience? What are the bounds on that? I mean, there's a lot. I realize why that's a well, and, and- dangerous or bold question, because what are the bounds? I don't know. Right. I mean, it depends what direction you take it, right? Like, how far do you go? And because I think we are, I mean, there's new interpretations all the time, and those interpretations have done certain things. (laughs) Like, if we look at, like, um, even just like how translation issues have impacted the LGBTQ community and our interpretation of scripture, those things matter deeply, but it's been happening all over time we just like to think that it you know one is staying true to an initial text and i don't know like well i don't feel like it's quite as uh i mean it is it is kicking the tire i don't think she's
0: popped the tire no i don't think so at all I, but you not want to
3: give me as much credit for being subversive as jason wants to give me right now
0: <laughs> well here's the wrestle for me When are we supposed to be Moses and say, remember, remember, remember? And when are we supposed to be Paul and say, hey, here's a new take? Or, or Jesus, Mm -hmm. you've heard it said, but I say unto you, right? I mean, Jesus does this left and right. And, you know, and he's not,
1: he's not the savior for a lot of people.
0: Mm -hmm. And, and that's, there's a reason for that. And part of it's because he's updating the foundational text. And so that's a problem. But yet I don't think it's a problem because I actually think what Jesus is doing is more in line with love and justice and grace and kindness and generosity, right? Like I which I get a lot of those terms from Paul actually, right? Like the fruit of the spirit. So, um irony of ironies at some level. And so when do I go, yeah, like remember 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 and when do I go we need a newer imagination, or we need to be a little creative here because if, if you're telling me I got to remember 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 the household codes well that's what people did to defend slavery for a really really long time is they remembered remember remembered the wrong thing mm-hmm. there needed to be a, a new imagination of how we understand scripture so we could move past slavery mm-hmm. and that was a good thing, right that wasn't a Well, we're blasphemous now. No, it was, it was at the heart of loving your neighbor. It was at the heart of loving God. And so I think we need to sit in the midst of that wrestle of remembering. Like I would say, I want to really remember like chapter one, verses 15 through whatever we read. There's something so poetically beautiful about that. But I also want to reimagine maybe some of the way Paul frames relationship. And I might need to just do that by diving into the context of what he's actually doing there. But anyway,
1: I'll. The only thing I feel like I have to say in response to all that, because I, when you asked me if I, when you said, "Do we need more Moses? Do we need more Paul, or do we need more Jesus?" My initial response was, "I need a woman." Hmm. Because what's clear to me is that we are missing voices i'm not saying that necessarily like what they have here is wrong. I just know that there's more voices. Paul is not the only person doing this. We just happen to preserve paul's letters right, which is not surprising in a i for a thousand and one reasons um, so i think i mean do I need more Do I need a different lens on interpreting Paul? That that's probably fair, and I know there are people and scholars doing that work. But I also just feel like, yeah, I wonder, I wonder what it, what would have happened if, like, Mary Magdalene would have had a shot at writing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, what
2: would she have said? Like, what would her letter have been?
1: Or the mm. other Mary.
0: Or the woman at the well or the yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so many women named and unnamed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there's a guidepost for us in that work
3: of like where do we remember, where do we inspire and like move forward and whose voices are we listening to in the energy that this hymn ends with of peacemaking? Mm-hmm. Um, that there's a the verse 20 talks about through Jesus, through Jesus, through Christ. We we have, we never returned to that. I guess I'll be questioned for another podcast of like Jesus Christ, he language. But, um, it's this language of making peace. It's not just having peace. It's being, it's, it's, um, it's bringing forth peace is actually the Greek has a lot of combo words. So it's, it's, um, it's the word for to bring forth or to cause or to work for combined with peace. So there's something that in Christ all is being, Christ is holding all things together in verse 19 is the fulfillment of things and all things are
1: there's peacemaking happening. I don't know. That seems like
3: what moves us in the direction in the, I, I don't know. That feels like a guidepost of some sort. I don't know what kind of guidepost, but it feels like a guidepost for the work of is this a peacemaking direction, mm-hmm. which is different than a conflict avoiding direction. Um, is this bringing harmony? Is this bringing reconciliation? If Christ is the firstborn over creation, and Christ is the first of the church, and we are His body, and and He was—I realize this is gendered language, but sorry about that. <laughs> but if he was the firstborn and therefore the reconciler and and he's leading the way and he's then being called a peacemaker and a reconciler, how do we then follow that trajectory with how we interpret his actions and the words of the Bible and move them towards peace and reconciliation? Which I think what Elise is saying about women is a great take on that like what voices are we missing in the interpretation where do we remember where do we reinterpret that's also a good question for like what will help bring the peace that christ w- was doing the work of that we are meant to continue the work of
1: yeah it makes me feel like uh, that's a good it's a good question to ask as we continue to engage with paul and read things like the household colds are these towards reconciliation and peacemaking? Um, mm. Were they, I don't know that they necessarily are, but were they? Um, Cause it feels like that might be a little bit of a litmus test of like, that's the lens I got to like, maybe gotta, I might be invited <laughs> to read Paul.
0: <laughs> so I think the three questions that I'm like holding as we wrap up are, where do we need to remember? Where do we need to reimagine? And where can we move towards peacemaking? And then a statement listen to women.
1: <laughs> Maybe so.
0: This podcast is a partnership between Forty Orchards and Processing Faith. Forty Orchards invites people to wrestle through biblical texts using the ancient Jewish concepts of Midrash. In a Forty Orchards study, every question is safe, everyone is welcome, and every voice is valued. We believe there's room for all of us. No person and no question is off-limits because we know that together we can expand each other's experience of what is sacred, whole, and good. You can learn more about 40 Orchards and sign up for a study by going to 40orchards.org. That's 40orchards.org. Processing Faith is a space created by Jason Steffenhagen for people to do exactly that process their faith. It's not one thing, but more like a good recipe. It's like one part pastoral care, one part theological exploration, and one part wrestling with all the questions. You can learn more about Processing Faith and sign up for a free 45-minute session by going to ProcessingFaith.com. Thanks again for joining us on Searching safe.